In our series of A to Z, we're in the letter C, and tonight is communion service, so we selected this morning as our subject communion a living memorial. Here at Capital Christian Center, it's very difficult for us to serve communion in the morning because of the split sessions, so we do it on a Sunday night, and I pray that this message will challenge you to be a part of the Sunday night communion. You will understand why I say that as this message progresses today. As I come before you, I am convinced that very few people really understand the power and the meaning of the communion. It is one of those services that people purposefully absent themselves from. They say, oh, it's, it's communion, that means the service will be a little longer and... Uh, it just hasn't found any real meaning in their life, and they don't see it as something valuable and important. And that is indeed a spiritual tragedy. One of the big lessons of 1 Corinthians 11, which is a chapter addressing the problem of communion in the Corinthian church, is that matter where Paul said, some of you are weak, some of you are sickly, and some among you have even fallen asleep or have died because they did not understand the meaning and the importance of the communion. Now, if that were true in the day Paul wrote this, I'm sure it's true today. There are people weak and sickly among us because they have not participated fully in the opportunity that communion affords. There is in Acts 18, verse 21, an interesting tie-in to 1 Corinthians 11. Paul had just been in Corinth, and he now at Ephesus says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. I must keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. Now there could be some conjecture as to what feast he's talking about, but many believe he is referring to the Passover feast. And he's thinking of its importance and its value. And he says, I must by all means keep this feast which is coming up in Jerusalem. And I'm going to do everything in my power to be there. He knew the value. And then later, as he writes to the church, hearing of their problems with the communion service, instructs them, using the words of Jesus to emphasize the importance. And you will see them in red, if your Bible is like mine, in verse 24, and in verse 25, he's quoting what Jesus said at the institution of the Lord's Supper. By the way, if you thought it should have been in the morning that communion is served, remember it's the Lord's Supper anyway, not the Lord's breakfast. <laughs> Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this, listen, do this, there it is, do this. It's not an option. Do this. Paul said, I must. 
get to Jerusalem. I must by all means. Could I just insert here that the enemy will put all kinds of things in our way to keep us from the communion, like relatives, people who drop in. I must by all means. Well, what would you do, pastor? You know what I would do. I would say one of two things. Either come with us or make yourself at home. We're going to the communion. We're heading for church. That's the number one thing on the calendar. But what if the Super Bowl comes at the same time? Number one thing. What if I get a headache? Number one thing. It has to be a priority. This do. If you don't do it, there's loss. There is indeed loss when you do not take advantage of the communion that our Lord instituted. It's emphatic. This do. I must keep. Don't put it off. It's one thing you cannot afford to put off. I'm afraid sometimes we're like the pastor I read about that had a unique filing system. He had four cabinets, four filing cabinets. One was labeled inspiration. Another was labeled administration. A third was labeled circulation. And the fourth was labeled procrastination. That was the one that was full. Procrastination. We put it off. And why the words come so forcibly from the Holy Spirit is that we must not any longer put it off. We must get there. It is a living memorial. Five things I want to leave with you this morning as to why we need to keep this feast, as Paul said in Acts 18. Number one, because of the commandment to do so. I just highlight that in your thinking. Because of the commandment to do so. Paul said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. It is a commandment from the Lord. I deliver it to you. Do this in remembrance of him. Paul and the early Christians received this commandment, and we now must receive it if we are to experience the joys and the blessings of the Lord's table. If you write anything down, write this down. The Lord's table is not optional. The Lord's table is not optional. To the youngest and the oldest Christian, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We cannot afford to miss it. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said this to us, If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. One of his commandments is, do this 
in remembrance. If we love the Lord, nothing is going to keep us from fulfilling that commandment. I love him and express that love by my obedience to his commands. Now your child could tell you they love you and yet if they disobey you all the time and make life miserable for you, you're going to question that love. So it is as a Christian, if you say you love the Lord but you don't keep his commandments, it is not much evidence, is it, that the Lord really is alive in you. This is a living memorial. We have anniversaries. We print them in our bulletin. I have many men who in this church who are my special friends because I saved their marriage by insisting that that be in the bulletin every week. Their wife will never know the difference. They forgot, came to church, just kind of going through the, oh my goodness, there was their name. And they got a card and the flowers and everything and covered it all over. And so we're here to save marriages any way that we can. You see, those are memorials, those anniversaries. You remember. And yesterday I spent a good deal of time writing out anniversary messages to those of you who are having anniversaries. And I take note of special ones. I, I take time to look at the record some 50 years, some 40 years, some 20 years. We have quite a few 20-year ones coming up. Several 25-year anniversaries. I always try to make a special note of that because you ought to do something special at that time. It's a memorial. It's a remembrance. I love to think back on that summer night in Monroe, Wisconsin in that dumpy little church. It was dumpy. They have since built a new one, and I had the joy of preaching the dedication of that church in that city where my wife grew up and where we were married. But it was a dumpy little white wooden church. But I love to think back on that night when I was 130 pounds of expectation. It was amazing. I wore a 14 and a half size shirt, almost had to buy them in the boys' department. I was so skinny. Oh, for those days again. <laughs> I like to think back, and there's a picture in our hallway. I have to walk by it from the garage into the house, and there's that skinny kid there on the wall. And the lady by him, oh, you ought to see her. Her hair is dark. Oh, how good it is to remember. And we reflect that we have spent more of our lives together by far than we spent alone. And we have spent more years together now than we will have in the future. Certainly so. And you remember, and it's good. It challenges you. And so Jesus said, I know that all of my followers are going to need a constant reminder. And so I'm going to institute something they must not miss. And he gathered his disciples together before he went to the cross. 
and he shared the bread with them, and he shared the cup with them, and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And through Paul, he said, as often as you do it, so do it often as a reminder of what I have done for you. It's a command that we cannot get away from. The little fellow came home from his first day in school, and he said to his mother, I'm not going anymore. Nobody likes me there. Teacher doesn't like me. The kids don't like me. I'm not going back again. Mother, I quit. But you know he went the next day anyway. And that's what the communion is about, you see, because in the Christian life, things get a little rocky. They get a little difficult, a little dark. We run into a problem. We run into a snare. We run into a difficulty. And the tendency is to say, I quit. This isn't worth it. It's too difficult. But Jesus says, ah, 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 ah. you do this in remembrance of me and you'll be okay. If you just think, if you remember, it will be a memorial that will challenge your life until I come for you. It's a commandment you can't get away from. Now, the second thing that I learned from this text is that we have to keep this feast because of the worship that I give him there. That's one object of coming to the table. It gets you out of yourself. To become entirely occupied with the Lord himself. How many times in this life are we truly occupied with the Lord himself? Very few, if we're to be honest. But the communion is one of those times when we take the bread and we take the fruit of the vine, emblems of the Lord's body given voluntarily and completely in sacrifice upon the cross, and we remember him. We get out of our minds the clutter, the problems, the bad things people have said about us. Hopefully, we get out of our mind what we read in the paper in the morning. We put ourselves in a different sphere for a few minutes at least and remember him. Not occupied even with one another so much as we're occupied with him. And so Paul said, I've got to keep this feast because I know what it does for me. I've got to be there and be occupied with him. So we move from the commandment to the opportunity to worship. A living memorial in a special way. My heart goes out to him at this table when he truly knows that I love him. Even though I've forgotten to thank him on occasion. Even though I have failed him on occasion. At that table, he knows that I love him with all my heart. Even though I've forgotten, I worship him. I come without all of the clutter and say, Lord, you're everything to me. I testify of it through these emblems. How important it is that we do that because there's so few times that we really do it in this life. It's like the anniversary I spoke of when you put aside the normal routine and you go to a special place for dinner or you do special things for each other and you buy cards that say things you don't usually say, right? 
And my wife reads those. And if I buy a special card with a special message, oh, she loves that. She leaves them sitting on my dresser for months. There's some still there today. Why? Because it's special. You did something special. It's worship unto the Lord that you don't do very many times. A memorial of worship. Thirdly, we go to the feast because of the company we keep at the feast. Do you know that you need the people that are sitting around you today? Think of what it would be like if it was just you in this sanctuary. Be kind of lonely, wouldn't it? You'd think of yourself going out of here to face this world all alone. But look, we're going out of here, hundreds of us to face this world, and together there's power, there's strength. So when we come to the communion, we are saying to each other, you matter, you count, what burden do you have? How can I help you? What can we do together to make life easier, stronger? Galatians 3.28 says, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's manifest at the table. That's why Jesus said there's one here at this table whose heart is not right. And he gave him the opportunity to do whatever he had to do. And remember, that's the way the Bible says, whatever you have to do, do it. Jesus was giving Judas the opportunity to be a part of that if he chose. But it says he went out into the night, and you always go into the night when you leave Jesus. And he went out into the night, leaving the company of those who were committed to what Jesus Christ was sharing with them. Sinners saved by grace, all of us in the same boat, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter what street we live on, what strata of life we are from, at the communion, we're all one. We're all one. Doesn't matter what the background is. And it's kind of a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like when we gather at the communion as one. There aren't any big shots at the communion table. Aren't you glad for that? Sinners saved by grace. All alike. All coming the same way. All acknowledging the same grace and mercy of God. Fellow citizens of the household of faith. We share our joys and our sorrows at the table. Glad hearts blend together and tears mingle. One family, one voice, one purpose. The hymn writer picked that up and wrote, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. One of the verses says we share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. It's true. So tonight we gather together as one to share each other's joys and each other's sorrows. 
to share with those who have lost special people in their lives lately and to build one another up in the most holy faith. It's important to get to the feast because of the company we keep. And if you miss, there is something missing that nobody else can make up. It's important that you be there so that the whole body is complete and we can minister to one another in the way he would be pleased. Fourthly, we come to the feast because of the testimony that we bear. I remember the visit I made to Brussels, Belgium, when Jim Rossi took me outside the city to where Wellington's army and Napoleon's army were brought together in battle. And there's a huge mountain there, which they say has all the remains of that battle buried in it. It's like a pyramid, a monument of dirt. Quite an impressive sight. There's a cyclorama there where you can walk in and see this painting. It goes around and you see the battle painted there on that wall. I remember the story that I shared a long time ago with you, but I repeat it today because of its impact in this particular message. When in London, Wellington, their great leader, was engaged in battle, and the news of the war was brought to London and portrayed in the square in London in those days, and they would gather every opportunity to read the news that was being presented in the square about the war and about their leader, Wellington. And on this particular day, it was kind of foggy and cold, and the words were seen by people in the square. Wellington defeated, and there went up crying and moaning in great sorrow because it said, Wellington defeated! But as it does in London in a few moments, the fog moved aside, and to their amazement and delight, they saw there was another word there, and it read, Wellington defeated Napoleon. Boy, that's a big difference. Wellington defeated versus Wellington defeated Napoleon. Altogether different. And theologically, my mind went back to the Gospel of St. John, when Jesus breathed his last on a cross and they went away sorrowful from that scene and hid themselves behind locked doors for fear their leader was dead. And it seemed that there were two words splashed on history's screen. Jesus defeated. And those words stayed there until the third day when the fog was blown away by holy smoke. And they saw a third word. And it was the word Satan. So it read, Jesus defeated Satan. And they came out from behind their locked doors and they went everywhere shouting, He's alive! He's alive! He is risen! He's real! When we come to the table, we're proclaiming the very heart of the gospel. Jesus defeated Satan. 
We are more than conquerors. This is a preaching service when we come to communion. It's preaching to people that he's the only way. The bread and the cup proclaim the victory of Calvary. It's a display of the gospel like nothing else can be. A living memorial. Christ is victor over hell itself. That's what the communion declares. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, there's an interesting passage by the writer of this book. I believe it was Paul, but we're not totally sure. So if it doesn't turn out to be that way, don't hold it against me, please. But there is a passage titled The Peril of Not Progressing, and it says in verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again, get that, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, this was written during a time of great persecution. Keep that in mind. People were giving their lives for the cause of Christ. So the picture that you have here is that of Christian people being told by authority, either denounce him or die. And evidently, some were denouncing the Lord in only in, in, uh, opportunity to live. And so the writer says, how in the world could these be restored? Since they have nailed Christ anew to the cross and they've brought him to open shame, listen to this. What it means is that how could anybody believe in a Christ who would be denied at the point of threat? How could they believe in Christianity if it meant no more to them than that? And so the writer says it's impossible to renew them because they've denounced the very thing that gives them life. Now you do the same thing when you absent yourself from the table of the Lord. Because of all things that gives us an opportunity to say to mankind, he is real, he has conquered hell, he has conquered the devil himself. It is the communion with the bread and the cup we say. He is who he said he was, and I'm changed by his power. Take note of it. I am changed by his power. We come to the table because of the testimony we bear at that table. And then finally... We come to the feast because of the hope that is revived there. Do you remember that in this dialogue that Jesus shared with his disciples, he said, as often as you do this, you show my death until what? Until I come. Say, I come. Until I come is what he said to them. So we come to the feast because of the hope that is revived. Some folks' hope has been revived this week because of the Democratic Convention. Not enough. 
One month from now, few will be revived when the Republicans make their declaration. And we don't know where Perot is going to land yet, probably in Texas. Not sure, but there is so much print and gobbledygook about all of this stuff. You can get sick of it, just sick of it. And there is absolutely no hope in any of it. Absolutely no hope in any of it. But we have hope. We're going to come to a table that says, you do this until I come. And just remember when you partake of these emblems, that when I come, everything's going to be made right. And not until then. He is the Prince of Peace. He's going to take us out and we're going to have the married supper in heaven and what a feast. Sometime between communion services, we're going to go up and we're going to have one up there with him. Oh boy, what a time. And then we're going to come back with him to this world. And the Lord is going to cause the lion to lay down with the lamb, and he's going to cause the swords to be turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. And they're not going to learn war anymore, and there's going to be an earth like he envisioned with peace and productivity. The fields will produce. The saints of God will reign with righteousness, and there'll be no parties it will all be under the banner of holiness unto the Lord. And he will sit on his throne in Jerusalem, conducting the affairs of the nations. And every time we take communion, we say, ah, it's going to happen. Don't know for sure when, but it's going to happen. Until he comes, we're going to keep partaking. We're going to remind ourselves it's not a political party. It's not a system that man engineers. It's all in Jesus, Jesus alone. Our hope is in Him alone. We'll do everything we can within the system until He comes, but I take this bread and I take this cup to say my hope is in Him until He comes. I participate in this service. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are reminded of the big event when we come to this service of communion. And Jesus is saying to us, I will keep the feast with you. Count on it. Until I come, you have my promise. Hallelujah. Why miss the communion? Are you sick? Come to the communion. Are you weak? Come to the communion. Are you struggling? Come to the communion. Is there trouble within and without? Come to the communion. Jesus said, do it. And in doing it, you will find a dimension that you cannot find. Don't run from it. Run to it. And we will grow together. Now, some of you do know that I was born in Tacoma, Washington, up in the Northwest, some of you do not know, I weighed seven pounds, which is really important, I know. 
Most of you do not know that I was born in a house on Fawcett Avenue, not in a hospital. The reason I was born at home is because things happened rapidly. My mother didn't get out of the house. And so my life began in a house. And I've never spent, fortunately, a night in the hospital in my life. But at age five, I was discovered to have a very deadly blood disease. And there was discovered it was rare, a rare blood type. A friend of the family had one son who, interestingly, had the same blood type and offered to give transfusions, but the son died in the transfusion process. I lived. Letters come from this friend. I read them regularly. I read one this morning. I'm like his own son. The blood disease was sin. The son was Jesus. The father was God, and at age five, I discovered that I needed a transfusion. That I would die unless I accepted the blood of this son who had that type because he came as man to bear our sin. And I get letters from the father regularly, and I read them. And I find out he loves me and I'm like his own son. And if I was the only one that had the blood disease, his son would have done what he did for me, though he died. He loves me that much. Do you think I can stay away from the opportunity I have to say to the whole world, he saved my life? He took my place. He died for me when I had no hope, no future outside of him. Oh, he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. That I might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when he says, Glenn Cole, do this in remembrance of me, where ought I to be? Sitting at home? Running here and there? No, sir. I ought to be there doing it in remembrance. He saved my life. He gave me hope. And he said, as often as you do this, do it until I come. Keep doing it. And one of these days, I'm going to come, and your faith will be turned into sight. You see through a glass darkly now, but then face to face, you will know even as also you are known. Tonight is the communion. Tonight is the living memorial of this most wonderful event in history.
Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus conquered hell. All the hell of your life. He is already conquered. And if you need victory, come to the table. If you need deliverance, come to the table. Come to the service. Where through those emblems we say, He is Lord over all things. I'm going to trust In the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That's what we're saying. Don't miss it. Paul said, this is why some are weak. This is why some are sick. And this is why some of you have fallen asleep. Some have literally died because they didn't catch the meaning of the table. Oh, how vital it is that we find that renewal, that place of resuscitation, that place of vitality that sends us out to change our world. A living memorial. And it's not an option. It's a command to those who love you. Would you bow your heads in prayer? I ask that everyone hold steady until we have concluded. We want to take these moments to be challenged, to make commitments, to offer ourselves anew, to this wonderful God who loves us so much. With our heads bowed, I want to ask how many of you here today know that there is a need in your life of committing yourself to Jesus Christ on this Sunday. You know that if you were to die today, you really wouldn't be ready to meet the Lord. You wouldn't have a right to say, God, here I am, let me into your heaven. You don't need to go on like that. You can have assurance. Jesus died for you. He died for me. died for all men. He's not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. If you would like to receive him into your heart today and prepare for the communion in a very wonderful spiritual way, I want to ask you to raise your hand and say by that, Pastor Cole, pray for me. I believe Jesus died for me. Just like you said he died for you and gave you that blood transfusion. I need that because I have a rare blood type. It's filled with sin and I got to have it cleansed and he's the only one that can do it. Raise your hand right now where you sit. Let me see it. Hold it up high. Thank you. Several right here in this middle section. Thank you. I see at least three, four. There's another right there in that section. Hold them up until I see them. Then you can put them down. I see these right here in front of me, over to my right. Thank you. Over on that side, several hands on the right-hand side. Up in the balcony, I see some hands up there too. God bless you up there. Thank you so much. On both sides of the sound booth, I see your hands. On the main floor again. Others, raise your hand. Let me see it. I need Jesus. He wants to be your Savior, not your judge. Thank you. Thank you back there. 
He wants to be your Savior, not your judge. But you've got to receive him. Take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I need you. You died for me. I receive you into my life. Any more? Raise your hand quickly. I want to see it before we move along here. Father, thank you for these numbers of hands. These dear people who have come to church today and they've had the courage to say, I need Jesus. And I'm asking you to come into their life in a powerful way. Walk right in, Lord Jesus, and forgive them of their sin. May they know they've passed from death to life. And then, Father, for many who are in this service today who have not been taking advantage of the power of this memorial service called communion, that they will do so tonight. And we believe as we come with faith that many wonderful things are going to happen. In the communion, there is the release that so many of us need to follow you victoriously and triumphantly. It's a time of public witness, of statement. I'm going to believe the Lord in my life. And I testify of our union through this bread and through this cup. Oh, hallelujah. I believe you for healings tonight, Lord. I believe you for spiritual strength to be given to your body as we obey you by coming to the table. You will be there. It's called the Lord's table. You're going to be there at the table. <laughs> oh, what things can happen when you are there, Lord. We look forward to it. Speak it to our hearts. And write it into our schedules, Lord, that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We ask this in your holy and wonderful name. Amen.